Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. It's Independence Day. I don't call it 4th of July. I call it Independence Day because, well, it is our Independence Day. And and the tradition has been for me to go and reflect on what happened to our republic, where it's going. I know, I remember I've done pieces on how to catch wild pigs, likening us, the, the Americans of old, to wild pigs who refused to be tamed. And then we got used to the government corn, and the rest is history. But hey, today, John, John, yes. do, you re- do you remember that joke that we all used to tell in grade school? How many countries have the 4th of July? No, I don't remember telling that, story, uh, that joke. I'm they sorry. They all have the 4th of July. <laughs> it's just you. Right. Uh, were right in saying only we have the Independence Day on the 4th right. of July. There you go. Well, Charles Lipson, part of the tradition is reflecting what we're doing, where we're going, and thinking about what would our founding fathers think of us. And I'm looking at, I'm at the same time you're we're doing that, I'm looking up pictures to run for my you know, my piece on, on the fourth. Mm-hmm. And I found, I found a beautiful photograph of president Biden lifting a champagne glass and toasting Xi Jinping. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what would our founders think of Hunter and Joe and the 10, 15, $40 million, whatever they're talking about. And now we've got affirmative action, so which has been outlawed finally. You know, finally, they're uh, pleasing many Greeks and Jews in the listening audience because we've faced the uh, quotas in the past. But uh, that's why Charles Lipson is here to, with us today on the Chicago Way podcast with Jeff Carlin and me and now Charles Lipson. Well, John, my tradition is always to have a few Bud Lights. <laughs> really? <laughs> Too soon? Uh, uh, <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> that's always my. I, I do that all the time. Too soon jokes. There's affirmative action joke somewhere too. That would be too soon. We can. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get to that. Do you know that that uh, that was the phrase that uh, led Gilbert Gottfried to do his amazing. Uh, a story about the aristocrats that became so famous. No. He, he, he was in the first comedy uh, show. Uh, it was a roast of Hugh Hefner, and it was the first comedy show after 9-11. And he said, he told a joke. He was doing his regular, uh, he was doing a routine, and he told the joke, and the joke was that he had tried to get a nonstop uh, flight back from New York uh, 
uh, JFK um, to LAX, but all of his flights stopped at the Empire State Building. And uh, somebody in the audience yelled, too soon. Yeah. But my my favorite is when anybody tells a joke about Abraham Lincoln's death and somebody yells that. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, the irony. Right, because it's only 1865. But the uh, uh, affirmative action stuff, um, the real issue is, in a way, the reverse of too soon, right? The right. real issue oh, is finally. that the, um, the case – we – we got rid of all the legal impediments uh, to discrimination, uh, um, uh, and we, we we made it discrimination illegal. I should is a better way of putting it. Uh, in the mid nineteen sixties, we're now six decades past that. Okay, yeah, and. Um, so it's worth going through just a little bit of history about what all my lifetime. Yeah. 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 So what, what really happened was that, uh, a traditionally American pragmatic solution, people understood that it was not only slavery as bad as it was, it was, um, since the 1890s, Jim Crow laws in the South, segregation Red in many lining. places across right. the country. There were so many impediments to black uh, success and black education that it really wasn't fair to say, okay, now everybody uh, start your engines, let's race as if we were all in the same race together. Uh, so the Supreme, So the initial solution that uh, African-Americans wanted, they weren't called African-Americans by the mo- for the most part back then, mm-hmm. but what they wanted was quotas. Well, quotas were the kinds of things that had kept Greek Americans, Jewish Americans, Asian Americans, whatever, yeah. uh, had put a ceiling on how many of them could get into top universities. We have enough of you at Harvard. Right. By the way, by the early 1900s, the children of the people who lived as peasants in Russia, the Jews who lived as peasants in Russia, uh, made up about 24% of the entering Harvard class. That's why they put in a 10% quota. And they said it explicitly, and then all the other Ivy League schools adopted it. But the quotas for blacks were not a... A, a ceiling, they were a floor. You have to have at least 10% or 12% or whatever it was. Those were ruled illegal fairly quickly. And then affirmative action came in in the early 1970s. And the courts approved it. But they approved it with two caveats. The first was explicit and the second was implicit. The explicit caveat was it could only be a minor advantage. It couldn't be this huge advantage. But they never explained how you could determine what a minor advantage was versus a big one. And it turns out that the advantages were mammoth. If you look at things like medical school admissions and so forth, uh, African-Americans... uh, with a certain grade point average and um, and medical SAT scores called MCAT, uh, got in 
with a uh, a 95% right and um uh whites and and uh Asian Americans and so forth got in at a 5% right if they had the same that same score and in fact to get to 95% basically um the um uh, the majority uh, populations, but also uh, uh, Asian Americans, basically had to be Phi Beta Kappa, uh, you know, and, and score, you know, perfect on their MCATs to have the same admissions rates as African Americans. So there were huge advantages. But the second, which was implicit, uh, 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 former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor said it out loud, but it was not, as far as I know, in a decision. She said, we don't expect this stuff to last forever. We expect it to fade away in, in 25 years. Well, 25 years ago, right. she said that. Yeah, right. that, it, it's about 25 years since then. And so that's the point uh, we're now at. It was a, a pragmatic solution, uh, a temporarily doing away with equality of um, – equality in judging people because of the uh, long history of setbacks. And what you ha- what you hear as a defense for the people who still want it is that uh, the uh, effects still linger, that there's still a lot of segregation, they still can't be expected to compete on an even playing field and and uh, all, all the, the usual kind of arguments like that. Those are the arguments that they, that they say. None of this gets to a number of practical issues. We can talk about those, but I can tell you one thing that people have are, are, will start to talk about next week, uh, and that is um, a lot of corporations – yeah. Use, uh, getting to the jobs. Yeah. yeah. Use these kinds of discriminatory criteria for hiring, pay, and promotion. And they will be subject to uh, new kinds of lawsuits on the grounds that they are now discriminating in ways that are illegal. So I expect this is the beginning. It's also the beginning of universities doing what George Wallace once did, which was stand in the schoolhouse door. And how did he stand in the door? He stood in the door to stop blacks from registering at the university of Alabama. But what universities are now doing is dropping all these standardized tests, not on the grounds that the standardized tests aren't a good measure of academic uh, future performance, but on the grounds that they will leave a statistical proof that the university is discriminating in favor of some groups and against others in their admissions. They're, they're discriminating against Asians. They're discriminating against Chinese, Vietnamese, all the people that do well and study hard. Children of uh, people that have been denied study hard on those tests and do well on standardized tests and they they must erase the evidence that's why it's being done it's to erase the evidence like to erase the idea that uh hunter biden took uh five and then another five for his dad from the china 
you know, it has to be done. They can't, they can't leave the fingerprints there. Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And it's, and if you hear progressives, including some Asian American progressives talk about this, they absolutely hate the term model minority. Oh, yes. And (laughs) whereas they should welcome it, people are praising them for doing the things uh, that we all were taught are the way that you uh, rise up in America. There's nothing wrong with studying hard. There's nothing wrong with being uh, with trying to form a, a family. There's nothing wrong with uh, doing all the things uh, that, uh, that make for a model minority. And maintaining your traditions, whatever these may be. This is done by people all over the world, but particularly in America and particularly by Asian Americans who are uh, carving a place for themselves against all odds, against the weight of the government, against the weight of the Democratic Party. Now, when they, as this is being done, Charles and, and Jeff, I have a question for you. Yeah. How will this play out and my uh, my argument is that the more they complain about it like they're doing on CNN minutes after the the, uh, the uh, event happened the, the Supreme Court ruled they just cement themselves as racists uh, and portray themselves as racists and get locked into that racist trope even though they think they're doing God's work um, what say you two? What do you say, Jeff? Well, I mean, I, that's the thing is like, I, I was curious. I want to know if and maybe we don't, I don't know the answer to this. But... Don't answer a question with a question, my friend, Jeff. Oh, no, but I it, asked you. It, it goes to the, to the, the crux of, of why we were doing this in the first place. And the idea right. that, you know, what their target is. Like I, the idea that I understand that if I'm running a college and I have a population of kids coming in every year. And every year I have demographics of this population because I do that because we do that for some reason. And we see that there's like this, it's out of whack, right? There, we know what the national breakdown of you know races, which is such a BS thing in the begin with, but we know that idea, right? And so we throw it out there and we're trying to match that. We want to mimic what it's naturally occurring in in the world, I understand that idea and that concept and it makes sense. You know, if it's wrong, if it's off, then you should do something to recruit in, in minority areas more or try to find, you know, programs for, to, to bring up minority groups, but they're doing this at the end of the race, right. Or the right. end of the, the events. So it's like saying that, well, you know, we're not going to be- pick the best car to drive. We're going to pick the car that no one else is picking. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's so, a hustler scream is well, what it is. Right. Let, me, let me offer a couple of comments on that. The first is that half the country votes Republican. And that's not the kind of diversity that they've gone out and searched for. Sure. Right? Um, the second is that there are losers in this. Whenever you admit someone to an elite university, uh, there are more applicants than you can admit. So mm-hmm. you're saying that people, other people don't get in. And uh, of course, those people have legitimate uh, complaints. But I think there's also an issue, and it was picked up in the book Mismatch, but it was originally thought of by 
Thomas Sowell, the great economist and social thinker, um, he said about the University of California system wh- mm-hmm. where the voters outlawed this kind of uh, yeah. affirmative action right. once, mm-hmm. and then uh, the administrators didn't like that, and they came back uh, voted again. a few years ago and tried again, and the voters voted against it again, including Hispanic voters. Um, I think it was actually pretty close among black voters. But what Sowell said was that uh, there there are uh, four-year universities in the University of California system of all different um, sort of uh, levels of elite admission. Some are much harder to get into, Berkeley and UCLA, uh, than others in the system. And what he said was that if you eliminated affirmative action, you would get fewer uh, affirmative action admits, African-American admissions, at, and maybe some Hispanics as well, at Berkeley and UCLA, but you would probably get more at some of the other University of California institutions. And that's exactly what happened. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because if you, if you put somebody, if you, I'm pretty good actually at math and science, even though I never majored in it. But if you put me at, let's say MIT, I would pretty quickly move out of those fields because anybody who's not Albert Einstein is not going to succeed in them. And for people who go in, and so you end up majoring in something that uh, requires less rigor on the scientific uh, skill side. So if you go into um, a university like that, hoping to come out as a a um, microbiology major so you can go on to med school, you'll find that your whole career future has been destroyed. And that's exactly what's happened um, in, and, in the and, name of diversity. And if I may, you're also shunted according, you know, we, we all know this. Yeah. Many of these poor students are shunted into something else. Like I could say urban studies. For example, exactly. Right. Oh, we we have oh, John Cass is from the South Side, so maybe we could have a reverse, uh, reverse application here. A white ethnic studying urban studies, and we convince him to waste his uh, his college career studying that ridiculous. Uh, Whereas, <laughs> if you look at that first and second generation mm-hmm. of the children of Jewish immigrants, the greatest historian of ancient Greece since Thucydides, Donald Kagan, was one of those. <laughs> Before, um, for, well, I think, what, four-volume history of the Peloponnesian War when he right. was uh, president of the university that he served at the end of his career. Yeah. Yeah, he he was a great scholar, but yeah. you could also look at a lot of other fields, including mathematics and yeah. astrophysics mm-hmm. and all these other fields. Sure. And um, and that's not just a problem of, of being shunted. Uh, I think it's a very distressing and undiscussed element uh, of our higher education system. If you look at fields like astrophysics, mathematics, um, 
molecular biology, things like that that are extremely rigorous and, and so forth, you'll find that those fields don't look like the rest of America. Uh, and in some, yeah. uh, and that's, that's a real issue. But the answer to it is not uh, to lower the standards in those fields. When you do that, you'll never, uh, you'll, you'll just water down the, the whole field and you'll let but other that's what's true. But it's interesting but you mentioned true. that because it's, it's I mean, going on now. You look at look at what the, the breakdown you're talking about. Well, you know, the diversity probably isn't there as maybe by skin tone, if that's what we want to break it down. But if you look at the STEM push, which was, you know, kind of pushed, came through in the 90s, was this idea to bring women into uh, sciences. Women in science fields has blossomed massively and beautifully and you see it all right. around lots of women in, in science now and how did that work it worked at the beginning they, they brought them up they nurtured this idea this wasn't this you know knock them down and say well you know you're really this is really smart but we gotta let this person in that that that's not the way you do it the, the, the other way is and a person right. who, who actually i mean it's funny you're talking about like science degrees and like you know uh the where the, that's changing Someone like an Elon Musk, this guy has a bachelor's of arts in physics. And it's like you said, bachelor's of arts in a, in a science degree. Like, how does that how does that even happen? And then and then how does it even become useful to anybody? Well, he made it obviously useful, but that's that's yeah. that kind of weird altering of these science fields that we're seeing in certain areas. I mean, not all areas, obviously. Well, it's this is an issue that's going to remain with us for uh, not only because it's going to be more legislation, but because race is the deepest wound in American history. Mm -hmm. And uh, right. we, it, but the problem is not just that we live with its lingering effects. Some aspects have uh, gotten much, much better. There's a, there's an African-American middle class, indeed an upper middle class. There's a lot more uh, um, integration in our housing. There's no more redlining and things like that. But there is also, uh, and this is not limited uh, to African-Americans, this is true among poor whites and others, there's uh, large numbers of out-of-wedlock births. There's a a breakdown in the the sense of community in African American communities, huge amounts of violence that ordinary people who live in those communities because of poverty can't escape from, and their children often have to join gangs and so forth. And those have it's not that those are getting better; they've gotten worse over the last twenty or thirty years, and. The answers that cities like San Francisco and mm -hmm. uh, other major cities, which is don't put people in jail just because they took nine hundred dollars <laughs> worth of stuff off of uh, off of the counters yeah. of a Walgreens, is hardly the solution. People have have a right to live in safety, and that includes people who live in those poor communities right. and need to go to a local Walgreens. Well, that the social contrast, the contract collapses another thing happens and it hasn't been discussed in all the with all the race hustlers screaming about loss of their hustle in affirmative action and that is we had a program in in illinois in chicago mm -hmm. where kids from minority groups from poor impoverished neighborhoods 
got a chance to go on scholarship to some of the top preparatory schools. Yeah. Uh, and that that's got the Illinois Opportunity Scholarship was killed because of the politics of CTU, the Chicago yes. Teachers Union, right. and the hard lefties, you know, and the Chase of Bodine types and all the rest of this nonsense. Uh, and yes, you they don't. So they right. don't. They won't mention Charles and Jeff. Yeah. They won't. The the hustlers don't mention the fact that they have the the reason why a lot of these kids are not succeeding is that they have they've been people have been working against them relentlessly for their high school and and grade mm-hmm. school years. And then what do you expect them to do when they're when they're graduating from high school? Oh, I completely agree with that. But speaking about hustlers and so forth, I know you wanted to talk about uh, Hunter Biden. I wanted to talk about (laughs) your fine, your fine uh, article, which I see here. And the and I think it's uh, you. I think you are selecting your own uh, headlines. As I can read this, are the walls closing in on old Joe? Well, you don't have to choose between allegations against Biden and Trump. Both sets could be true. Yeah. By Charles Lipson. And I you have another good. one come out. Yeah. Uh, well, I I just find um, so many aspects of this Hunter uh, Biden story so disturbing. Uh, and they're. They're, they would be disturbing if you read about this grift from anyone. But the important thing, ultimately, is uh, how does it bear on the man who is now president and was vice president and was at the, in the center of what looks to me like a family grift. And his, um, his defense now has boiled down to, I have a son who was in trouble, and of course I'm going to give him support. I think I love my son. I love my son. I love my son, and I'm sure he does in a sincere way. But, (laughs) but um, he also went on a a TV show and said, "My son has done nothing wrong. This man is the head of the executive branch of the U.S. government, and the uh, people in the Justice Department work for him." And they they heard that. They saw that after he uh, pled. Uh, to uh, a, a sort of tap on the wrist sentence, but he pled to a felony and two things that had been uh, watered down to misdemeanors that Joe Biden had his son to a big state dinner and <laughs> took him up to Camp David. So they're seeing, and when I saw this, I was telling somebody in England today who wouldn't know Chicago politics that it reminded me of Mayor Richard J. Daley. Kissing um, the mistletoe? Yeah. <laughs> well, you have he, to explain that to the... To go the, ahead. You explain it, my friend. No, he never said, if uh, if a man can't help his sons, you can kiss my mistletoe. He ne- never said those exact he, words. He, exactly. But I love telling him, he said, if a man can't help his own son, <laughs> what's the world coming to? You know, and then he added that the uh, people who didn't agree with him could kiss something that they probably didn't want to, but well, that he, all politicians in the city did. But Daly was shrewd for all the right. uh, 
Right. He was very shrewd and understood human nature, which is why he was an excellent and successful politician for many years. And that's the problem. It's like Joe is wandering, you know, wearing diapers under the, you know, like lost in, in, in his own space. He doesn't know what's going on. There seems to, to not know. And that's costing him. That's going to cost him dearly. Well, I think what's costing him um, is that the country is not doing so well economically. It should have recovered. Almost all the recovery uh, happened because when you pull off the masks, finally, you get a quick recovery. And if you you pump in a lot of of money you get a sugar high but you also get inflation and that's what's happened but i think joe's cognitive decline is becoming more and more evident these are the gaffes that he makes are not just gaffes that he's made throughout his whole career he's Mm -hmm. having trouble long live the queen he just uh, just a few hours ago when he was asked about this he got up he was talking to uh Democrat uh, apology uh, whisperer Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, and he stood up and walked off. Like he's like, okay, bye. And he, he didn't know where he was going and just marched high stepping away. <laughs> this is the dangerous thing we're dealing with. Okay. Yeah. So, I know. But nuclear weapons. Yeah. Nuclear weapons and uh, equally dangerous, the person who, if. Uh, step down, the person who would step in is Kamala Harris, who is manifestly that's, unfit. That's the other thing. Now, what would, I ask you as a professor, esteemed Peter Ritzma, chair of a, a great renowned author, lecturer, thinker, thank you. The but I mean, in the mail, you know, John, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking selfishly and I'm looking for a quote, okay, for my column where yeah. I have all these, I, yeah. I found a the the one of the paintings of the uh, the creation of the Declaration of Independence, and I ask myself and I ask readers what what would they think mm-hmm. of Joe Biden now? And that's what I ask you. They would say say he's too old for sure, and he, especially if he, if it was relative to their time. I mean. And his just not being up for the job. I mean, look at the first guy they picked. I mean, giant of a man, strong, even keeled. You know, everybody like nobody could say a bad word about him. And smart, and not necessarily you know Harvard educated, but like smart, nice guy. They would they would have like really this is what we got. Who was the last guy you had? And then and we go down the hill from there. Well, you raise an interesting point because I would say that the last three uh, candidates for president in the major parties are Hillary Clinton, uh, Joe Biden, and uh, Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton uh, had a great resume and almost no accomplishments and stood at the center. I think Bill was a gifted politician, but Hillary... Uh, stood at the center of an industrial scale grifting operation. Um, and uh, uh, I think that um, I, I'm no fan of Trump and I've written a lot about him. Uh, I think in Trump's case, uh, 
although the indictments are serious about the documents, I think the stuff that Alvin Bragg brought in New York yeah. is just garbage. But the um, but the the uh, the stuff about the documents and especially the obstruction of justice when he said he'd return them but hadn't done it uh that's serious but that's not what's most serious what's most serious is that he has failed to do the main thing that is required of the losing candidate in a constitutional democracy concede and if you don't concede you've got to have very strong proof that the election was fraudulent and i would say that richard nixon um, when you can say that Richard Nixon sets a higher ethical standard for being a losing candidate than Donald Trump, you said something pretty damning. Or Hillary, because I think, yeah. I think that's the thing that infuriated those of us who supported Trump. I put myself in that category is that, uh, Hillary and the Democratic Party would never concede they played it like stacy abrams in georgia it was all like it was all like this this man is uh, below us and he he's terrible and he he, he's a a tool of the russians and they were saying all that stuff when they knew it was a lie that's right that's a very important point uh all when, when um George W. Bush invasion of Iraq was a Uh catastrophic policy error. But when people said he lied, uh, when he said that they had weapons of mass destruction, it's a misuse of the language. He actually thought they did, and there was a lot of reasons to think they did. Uh, They had had them previously. They wouldn't allow inspectors to look at them. There were all sorts of reasons to think he there. I have every reason to think he was quite sincere in uh, what he was saying. He wasn't lying. But I don't think Adam Schiff was sincere a minute. I don't think that uh, Nancy Pelosi was sincere for a minute. I don't think all of those people uh, were, uh, uh, I don't think that they were, uh, misled. They were misleading the public uh, and lying about the information that they actually had. And I think, and, and what those, uh, what the 51 intelligence officers did, um, uh, which was in effect say, Hey, we're, we're not in the CIA or right now, but trust us, we really know inside stuff. And this has every evidence that it was a Russian disinformation operation. You know who to love that? Mustafa Kemal, because the Kemalists of the American government, those yes. in the deep state, uh, played that deliciously and well to destroy uh, the argument that uh, the Bidens had. And then Biden, Biden yeah. remember, Biden went into a debate with Trump and went beyond what they said. He said it was absolutely false. It was Russian disinformation. Didn't just have the earmarks. And what people have missed in all of that is all he had to do was ask his son. I mean, it's not like he needed to get sort of a a lot of information from other people. So Uh, where are we now? Where are we with all this now? We have a presidential election coming. We have a fading president uh we have uh uh 
somebody's lying, and I think our, our friend from the North Shore is going to be wearing the jacket, uh, Merrick Garland, on this one uh, eventually. But And that's the first step towards impeaching uh, Biden. But uh, where are we now with all I don't this? think Where, they'll impeach Biden. I don't think they'll impeach Biden unless they have absolutely clear-cut evidence. We're just too close to an election. Yeah. And they also see... Uh, Kamala Harris right behind him. But there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason, uh, I mean, they'd like her to be the candidate for sure, <laughs> but not, uh, but not to be the president. But uh, there's a, a reason, if I understand it correctly, why they might move to impeach uh, Garland um, independent uh Beyond the fact, uh, there's a cost to impeaching him. Americans are concerned about the economy, crime, immigration, right. all those things. When it looks like the uh, uh, the Republicans are in Congress playing gotcha politics, there's a cost to that. But the advantage to doing it is that the courts have ruled uh, that the administration has to turn over basically everything Congress asks for in terms of documents and so forth. They can't. Uh, stonewall it and congress can go to court and force that sort of thing in a way that e that basically uh the the doj can turn them down on even if congress has subpoena power right now they can get turned down on all of that so i there there are some technical reasons why they uh might uh, move on all of this, but it certainly looks really bad. You just don't set up. Well, there, you don't set up this many LLCs to move <laughs> money around. And right. if you have a legitimate the whole family, or, even the grandkids, they were the cut in. Yeah. yeah. If a man and, can't help his own grandchildren, <laughs> but, uh, but there's also what the whistleblower who, who doesn't seem, I mean, if the whistleblower yeah, were a, a political figure, mm -hmm. then the Washington post and New York times would have already exposed him. Right. I mean, they're out to get him if they can't, he looks, I, I watched the interviews with Brett Baer and I've seen the, uh, read the testimony and so forth. He looks apolitical, like he's just a very senior member of the uh, Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. And on some of the things, like uh, the statement that uh, the U.S. Attorney for Delaware, David Weiss, said, um, there were six other people in the room. And, um, and uh, Shapley made contemporaneous notes, sent them to other people That's who confirmed key. that what he heard was correct. Right. And now we've That's been key. told. Huh? I'm that, sorry. That is key. It is absolutely crucial. Contemporaneous notes sent to others. You can point that out to a jury in a criminal case. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, and, that would be a good reason. I mean, if there's going to be a flashpoint that could push a, a, a premature, probably, impeachment of Biden, this would be it because they're going to have the soups to nuts on exactly what happened. Especially, no, no. They don't quite have, they don't have Biden in that picture. They have no. people working to protect Biden right. in that picture. They, they can link that to false statements made under oath by Merrick Garland. Now, maybe he was misinformed, but, yeah. uh, 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 but the fact is, um, by now, if he were misinformed, he should have investigated and, and come out in a press conference and said, no, 
mm-hmm. but it looks like it wasn't one event. It was just this whole series of things. They wanted to go and look at a sort of locker that Hunter had documents in. They were denied it. They uh, The guy wanted to bring cases, allegedly, according to the IRS, in various places. He was denied that uh, authority. The IRS people themselves wanted to look, uh, when they saw that WhatsApp message, which was uh, a, a sort of a Tony Soprano message, to a Chinese businessman right. with high oh, party I'm, I'm sitting right next to the next to this man, and he's going to be very upset. We don't know if that was true that he was sitting next to him. We no, know, however, that it. the message was true, and right. we know if the IRS people are to be believed that uh, they wanted to check where Joe Biden's phone was which would tell them if he was in the room, and they were denied that. And they have said that this woman, Wolf, who is the number two to uh, Weiss, uh, uh, told them at at various stages that they were not going to do anything if it touched on the big guy. And uh, and we learned uh, just recently that Tony Bobolinsky, who was a partner and who met with Joe Biden and Hunter together and therefore can say that Joe Biden's statements that he wasn't involved in any way, wasn't Mm -hmm. knowledgeable in any way and so forth. He wanted to go before the grand jury in Delaware and was denied it. It's unreal. I mean, and, and then compare that information with the, you know, the Ukrainian phone call and the impeachment that came from that and how just weird it is that, (laughs) <laughs> this is where we are. I mean, it, yeah. and it, where are Woodward and Bernstein in this? Where are well, Woodward and Bernstein? Why CNN. is the Washington Post doing nothing? Why is the New York Times yeah. doing nothing to investigate all because of this? Because they don't want to challenge their own Pulitzers that they won for pushing the uh, the Russia collusion nonsense, which was a hoax. And they'd have to they'd have to be. They'd have to examine their own navel, really, publicly, in front of everyone, and they don't want to do that. <laughs> but, John, th- yeah. that's exactly right. I, I, let, me, let me pick up on one aspect of that, though. Remember when CNN had a town hall uh, <sighs> maybe a month ago, yeah. month and a half uh. ago with Trump? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and he, he it led to the it it led to the uh, president of the network being fired. Right. Um, when you have um, when uh, um, uh, Tucker Carlson was uh, let go by well, not let go. He was taken off the air. He hasn't been officially fired by Fox News. Uh, what you got was a rising up in both cases of. Uh, the people who were in those silos, those news silos, right. saying, we go to this silo for news that tells us exactly what we want, not for anything different. And uh, so it's not just that that the news organizations uh, like the New York Times and Washington Post try to appeal to specific audiences. The audiences seem to punish them when uh, they try to do anything different. So I see mm-hmm. a kind of vicious cycle here. I, I, I'm one of those who left the silo, left the Fox News silo, 
And I, I, I moved to uh, St. Augustine <laughs> to read again The City of God after Pat Hickey wrote a version of his uh, essay for me at the uh, John Kiss News. And uh, I have to say, not watching not watching uh, the screaming on cable, either from, right. from the left or the right, is uh, rather soothing, gentlemen. I just have to... <laughs> I I completely agree. I watch Hunter. Uh, I watch. Excuse me. I watch uh, Brett Bear. Yeah, evening. I like. I, like I think he's excellent. I yeah. tape it Bear, so yeah. I can skip past anything that involves a submersible submarine. You, know, <laughs> you don't. You don't want to buy gold, right? <laughs> but yeah. but um, and the the vegetables that you have to grind up in order to live a long life. Yeah. But listen, it's hot now, hot in July. We're having, but at the same time, the the uh, the days are getting shorter, and sooner or later, it'll yes. be cold. It'll be cold outside in Chicago, and on the midway, there'll be someone walking, may perhaps trying to not destroy a cigar all the way, but enjoy a smoke as they're walking on the midway. Yes. And then go into a study and begin their history of this period. Yeah. What would you, Charles, what would you caution historians to think about? Or what would you stress for them as they begin to... Do you remember that movie that was called The Year of Living Dangerously? There was... um, The Sexiest Man Alive. (laughs) <laughs> and then there was uh, a book, and I can't quite recall uh, the uh, the title, um, where, um, was it Dominic Dunn's uh, wife? I can't, I'm not remembering her name right now. She was, she was, in her own right, a very famous author. And after her husband died unexpectedly, she wrote about what a crazy year it was. Ever since uh, the... Uh, COVID outbreak. We've lived in this very, very strange time, and we've been repeatedly lied to Ooh. by the very people, not just by by sort of uh, political hacks, but by people who are lifetime experts in their field who decided to become political hacks. Um, we were told that uh, and, and then we live in a world of social media that seems intent on making our um, our uh, sort of uh, consciousness into fifteen minute bytes uh, or fifteen Hyster- second bytes. Hysterically, hysterically angry. Right, seconds. and people are angry. And and what I find in is new about American politics. Um, and I'm, I'm saying this sort of to you, Jeff, because I think you never lived in this time. But there was a time when you could vote Republican uh, for Eisenhower and you could vote Democratic for Adlai Stevenson. And people on the other side, first of all, they didn't consider it something that you wanted to talk about at dinner. Right. Secondly, um, you lived right beside these other people. Yeah. And third, nobody viewed you as morally contemptuous 
beneath contempt for doing that. But we now live in a much more ideological world, it, certainly so among uh, educated elites, the talking classes. Uh, uh, John is a rare uh, person uh, in the talking classes who's on the right. Um, but the chattering classes, you mean the chattering <laughs> classes, right, okay. uh, and uh, uh, but um, they're much more like uh, Pauline Kael, the great movie critic for the Times huh. for many years. This uh, is said, perfect, perfect. Said, I know where you're going. How, how did Nixon win? She'd never met anybody who voted for him, right? By the way, when I lived for a year. During the last year of Margaret Thatcher's rule, I lived for a year in London, and I literally never met anyone who voted for Thatcher uh, in my social circle, which was an academic type, you know, an artist and things like that. And but so that may have been true among intellectuals for a long time, but now American politics looks more like British politics in the sense that it's. It's ideological, where labor faces off against the Tories, um, and uh, but the uh, conservatives are now really have been overtaken by populists. Yes, and, uh, and I think that on so many of these issues, people just look with contempt uh, at people on the other side. And I don't just think it's the left looking with contempt at the right. I think people on the, on the right who believe uh, that abortion is sinful and uh, I could go on a long list, think that people on the other side of those issues are uh, sort of moral cretins. And it, and the whole idea of a tolerant uh, democracy requires forbearance um, it requires people to laugh at uh, Adlai Stevenson's joke, yeah. which was meant as a joke. Uh, you worship God in your way. I worship God in his way. <laughs> if you laugh at that, as John just did, I didn't tell it so well, but it, if you <laughs> laugh at it, you know it was meant ironically. Right. As soon right. as you don't mean it ironically, people begin burning books, and soon after books, they begin burning people. <laughs> That is, uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there, Charles, yeah. because uh, I can't think of a better cap. Not at all to this to this, and and I doff my cap to you, sir. Indeed, because uh, and we yes. haven't re we haven't even spoken about the other article that you you're coming up with that our good friend Tom Bevan is about to publish any minute now. You know, can you tell us something about it? Well, the Supreme Court's rulings at the end of the term on affirmative action, which we did talk about, and they have rulings on religious liberty and so forth, these are very important rulings. And I would say that on the other side, people should take a look at the fact that uh, people who are unhappy with those rulings don't just say, well, we lost the case, we should move on and respect that. They say we should pack the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is illegitimate. One of the justices took a trip 12 years ago, uh, a fishing trip, and he should be uh, put in the pillories. 
Um, but let's leave Sotomayor alone, right? Let's leave, <laughs> but right? I mean, it's not. It's more than the hypocrisy. It's it's all, which just shines and stinks. It's also uh, the sense that uh, trust in our institutions has has just dropped like a stone. And people would say, well, maybe that's that's well justified. The institutions don't deserve a lot of trust. Who who trusts the CDC? now to tell us where that uh, virus came from and remember the cdc said if you get uh if you get a vaccination you can't get COVID, and you can't spread it to anybody else well all of that was wrong you can make initial wrong statements but six months later you got to tell us the truth man and fauci uh um saint fauci to you huh Saint Fauci, Saint Fauci. Se- seemed to come out uh, with uh, statements that were designed to cover the fact that they had put money into a research institute in China that was doing uh, the work that may well, we don't know, may well have led to the spread of this virus. Why did they do that? Because there were laws in the United States that said you couldn't do gain-of-function research in the United States. So they tried to get around it by having the by outsourcing it to the Chinese. What could possibly go wrong? So a few of, a few of them ended up getting tossed off the roof for some yes, reason. Yes, exactly. Well, I think happen. I think what what you what I was saying is that the Supreme Court is um has been making rulings that seem perfectly consonant with the US Constitution and some of the bedrock values that are encoded in it, which is freedom of religion, you shouldn't have to you should be, you should be required if you're open to the public to sell uh, a cake to anyone but you shouldn't be required to decorate that cake with a message if you find that message personally abhorrent and against your religion uh those kinds of things if you if you believe in the sabbath and you don't uh want and you don't want to work on Sunday and you were hired when nobody had to work on Sunday so it was not part of the job requirement and they changed the job requirement the Supreme Court has now ruled uh, that it infringes on your religious liberty rights uh, to force you to do that um, right. no no dissent no dissent on that one by the way right that's a, that's a very interesting point and I think what you're seeing is uh, some pushback there, but I do not leave with a sense that our Republic is in good hands or in strong shape. I think the people in leadership positions, uh, uh, in both Congress and, um, and the white house, uh, are, um, are not people that, uh, we can have a lot of, we cannot have high regard for this is not washington or jefferson or lincoln or uh it, it's much closer to uh warren g hart i don't think I, I used to think that washington would take his cane out and have a few of them cane us to, you know as we scream for mercy but now i think president washington 
would really just look at us coldly and turn his back, turn his face away. And and the people in so many cities w- are, are busy just taking his name off of schools. Oh, my God. Hey, hey, hey. Well, uh, on that happy on note. On that happy note. Happy <laughs> you, know what, you know what? We, we have to do this again soon. Each and everyone. Because we have to talk about movies and, you know, stuff that we want to talk about, like what's a gun soul, for God's <laughs> sake, and uh, Maltese Falcon and... Uh, Oh, I love I am doing a man. that. I, I am a By man the way, Gonzo was a made-up word. Yeah. Was a made I don't up know word. if it was made up. It, it, it had a different the, meaning, I believe, did in gun Yiddish s- or something. Did huh? the Gunsel drink Bud Light? Is, um, <laughs> is some- uh, you have a future in advertising, my friend. There you go. For Char- Charles, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, oh, Charles. What a pleasure. I, it's always great I, to talk with you, too. And I want everybody to think as you're as you're going to your food fest on the 4th of July that you call it, I call it, we call it Independence Day among the civilized people, Independence Day, I want you to think, what would it be like to have Charles Lipson as your professor? You would be a very lucky person. Well, you thank you. Blessed. That's a very generous, that's a very uh, Not generous really. statement. Not really, Charles. It's just the fact. Mm-hmm. No brag, just fact, like Walter <laughs> Brennan used to say. For Charles Lipson, the Peter B. Ritzma Chair at the University of Chicago, longtime professor, writer, thinker, and you can read him in real clear politics. You can read him in uh, what's the latest? What was the, the American one? Spectator? American Spectator. Uh, with a brilliant piece on uh, on the Biden family in the Biden Inc. Inc. And uh, for Jeff Carlin, our friend, WGN executive producer, friend of cats, friend of pies, <laughs> not friend of pies. They're in, 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 they can't really form relationships, only one-way relationships. And for me, John Cass, who's now I'm trying to write again. So I hope you subscribe to John Cass News. Thanks for joining us on this Independence Day to love our country as long as we can. But I want you all to, as we go, I want you to think of the father, the father in Red Dawn, the first one written by John Milius. Harry Dean Stanton was the actor, and he screamed to his sons as the totalitarian government uh, descended upon them boys avenge me avenge me see you again on another edition of the chicago way podcast on wgn plus i love you i know you do son i love you too Boys! Avenge me! Avenge me! Chumbalone.